0: Letter, mo better. Slow pain, no gain, go getter. Change like the weather, Solid as a rock, small piece of leather, but well put together. Hello from Hollywood and welcome to the Greatest Show on Grass podcast. I'm your host and ringmaster, Joshua Newman. The Greatest Show on Grass explores the past, present, and future of the recently reborn Los Angeles Rams. That was Pain, featuring Snoop Dogg, and performed by De La Soul. From episode three of HBO's Hard Knocks, which we'll discuss at length later. Plus, as maybe you can hear,
1: I'm not at the Moan Broadcast Center right now. Instead, I'm at Tom Bergen's on Fairfax.
0: Yeah, this isn't just a a bar. This is hallowed ground. Uh, We are sitting beneath a world champion banner that was awarded to the Rams in 1951. That clip was from KPCC's off-ramp radio show here in Los Angeles an episode in which yours truly visits Tom Bergen's Tavern, which not only boasts the best Irish coffee in town, but perhaps the most important artifact in L.A. Rams history. But first, let's talk about last week's 21-20 victory over the Kansas City Chiefs. As they did in Week 1, the Rams erased a fourth-quarter deficit, this time with rookie Jared Goff leading the team on a drive in which life seemed to imitate Madden 17. It was another huge crowd. Over 80,000 tickets were distributed. Attendance was probably around 70,000. And while Week 1 counted some bona fide A-listers among those in attendance, Game 2 was more like a B+. Instead of Drew Barrymore, Ty Burrell, and Magic Johnson, we had The Game, comedian Cat Williams and much maligned L.A. Laker, D'Angelo Russell. The St. Louis Rams, of course, played the Kansas City Chiefs in the Governor's Cup preseason game from 1996 to 2015, a game for bragging rights in the state of Missouri. But that matchup all too often was a dreadful bore, a lifeless fabrication of the game between the Chiefs and the Cardinals, held from 1968 to 1987 when the Cardinals still played in St. Louis. In a way, the contrived hoopla around the Governor's Cup game was a persistent reminder that the Rams of Hollywood had been cast to play the role of the Cardinals in St. Louis. The Rams and Chiefs have shared a handful of players in common, including Gary Green, Trent Green, Dante Hall, And now Nick Foles, who the Rams cut back in June, a few months after drafting Jared Goff. Foles shined in this game, the Rams' porous defense making him look like, well, Dak Prescott. Despite going... Eight for 12 and engineering the final winning drive, Jared Goff again looked lost and again had trouble handling the ball. It's hard to imagine Goff being ready to start against the 49ers in the season opener, and that has to be considered a demerit for head coach Jeff Fisher and general manager Les Snead, who largely justified trading up for Goff based on the quarterback's pro readiness. Yes, Goff has shown flashes of potential, but he's certainly far from being ready. The same cannot be said for Todd Gurley, who brought the entire Coliseum to its feet with his three yard first quarter touchdown plunge. In hindsight, it seems ridiculous that some wondered whether it would be he or Aaron Donald who would command more star power in Los Angeles. Gurley's everywhere. He's got commercials with Gatorade, Champs, Carl's Jr., Nike, Microsoft. He's the face of the franchise, and he doesn't seem crowbarred into that role the way it seemed Sam Bradford was in St. Louis. There's a palpable sense of excitement in the Coliseum every time he touches the ball. Though also, I think, a sense of vulnerability. Not necessarily about the knee he hurt in 2014, but about how dependent the offense is upon him. A dependence the Rams probably haven't had since the last time they were back in SoCal and Eric Dickerson was their workhorse. This week, the Rams leave the Coliseum and head to Mile High, to take on the Denver Broncos. Many predicted the Rams to select Paxton Lynch with the 15th pick in the draft, but the Rams opted to trade up to acquire Jared Goff, and Lynch slipped to Denver, so the Lynch-Goff matchup is one I'll be looking at. I'll also be interested in whether the Rams managed to stave off the Broncos' vaunted pass rush. The Rams' O-line is for the first time in ages healthy, has looked cohesive, but this will be the best pass rush they've faced this preseason. If the O-line holds its own, especially in pass protection, I'm going to feel a whole lot better moving forward. I'll also feel a whole lot better if Brian Quick continues to flounder, because it likely increases the likelihood of the Rams cutting ties with him. Other guys I'm going to have my eyes on, Mo Alexander, because as far as I'm concerned, Christian Bryan and Cody Davis haven't proven that they can step in for Rodney McLeod, LaMarcus Joyner and E.J. Gaines, because Cody Sensabaugh doesn't seem to be very good at football, and Duke Williams, who I'd really love to see targeted a few times. And oh, you are the- Take away my
1: heart, dear. Still the beating there within.
0: I'll keep loving you
1: forever.
0: For it's no sin. That was Sin, It's No Sin by Eddie Howard and his orchestra, which was the number one song in America, when the Los Angeles Rams won the NFL championship in 1951. This week marks the first week that the reborn Rams take to the road. Instead of Section 4, Row 7, Seat 5, I'll be sitting on a bar stool at Tom Bergen's Tavern. Over the years, I've tried to make the case that Tom Bergens ought to be considered LA's official Rams Bar, and I was honored when NPR affiliate KPCC invited me on to share the reasons why. So I thought I'd share that interview with you on this episode. As maybe you can
1: hear, I'm not at the Moan Broadcast Center right now. Instead, I'm at Tom Bergen's on Fairfax. It's Tuesday afternoon, but Joshua Newman, what's it going to be like here on Saturday when the Rams play an exhibition game against the Dallas Cowboys at the Coliseum?
0: It's going to be history. There's no greater place in Los Angeles that demonstrates that the Rams haven't just moved to Los Angeles. They've come home. Joshua Newman
1: has a master's degree from the Harvard Divinity School, was editorial director of the international fashion magazine Flaunt, was editor and publisher of the satirical Jewish culture magazine Hebe, and is creator and host of the new Los Angeles Rams podcast, The Greatest Show on Grass. Nice to be here. And since the place isn't open yet, and he doesn't have to be working with customers, Derek Shrek is here. He's the owner of Tom Bergen Since 2013. Pleasure to be here. This is The Rams
2: Bar. It is absolutely the Rams bar. We have a long, long history with the team. When, uh, when they first arrived in the late 40s, uh, Tom Bergen uh, immediately became good friends with uh, Dan Reeves Sr., who was the team's owner. And back in the day when you know football players weren't paid millions of dollars and they were uh, a little bit more involved in you know day jobs and, and local watering holes, a lot of the team greats, uh, Norm Van Brocklin, Tom Fears, joined Tom Bergen's softball team. Huh. So that's pretty much how integrated they were to the bars. They used to wear Tom Bergen's
1: jerseys and play softball every Sunday. And we're sitting under an amazing piece
0: of Rams history. Yeah, this isn't just a, a bar, this is hallowed ground. Uh, we are sitting beneath a world champion banner that was awarded to the Rams in 1951.
1: This is like an official NFL thing that's in private hands. That's rare, isn't
0: it? It's unparalleled. Before the Super Bowl, this banner was the Vince Lombardi trophy of its age. Um, And I think what's really exciting from the point of view of Rams fans and Angelinos are the way we get this opportunity to uncover a history that we might not have known about.
1: The banner is probably five feet long by about uh, three feet high. It says World Champions, 1951 Rams. What colors? Uh, it originally was a, uh, a dark blue on
2: gold. Uh, unfortunately, it was hung in this bar during a time when smoking was very common. So over the years, it's kind of faded. Just to make sure that it's protected, we have it museum-framed and UV uh, behind uv protectant glass. Um, and uh, for that... It's, you, you see the side that survived the best.
1: And, you know, and I don't, I don't mind that. It has patina. No. Like the rest of the bar, it's real patina. People smoked back then. Oh, yeah. It's what happened, and people enjoyed the hell out of it. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah.
0: It's also the California colors. The Rams were the first professional California franchise uh-huh. to win a championship, and they embraced California, and they took the state colors when they were creating their uniforms here. They weren't these colors when they were back in Cleveland pre-1946. Does anybody offer to, to buy this from you? Not so much buy it, but we've received requests from the
2: NFL Hall of Fame to donate it. There was a time when I was finishing up restoring the building. People weren't sure whether or not we were going to reopen. And of course, that was always the intention to fix the building back up and then reopen. So people thought that this might just be kind of lost or end up in somebody's basement. But uh, no, we it, it belongs with the bar. We have uh, the telegraph that Dan Reeves
0: uh, sent Tom and Jake uh, mounted next to it that, uh, that gifts the banner to the bar. I think one other thing that's super interesting is that this banner resides in this neighborhood because this very much was a Rams neighborhood. Um, their original home offices were on Beverly Boulevard. Uh, They moved in 1967 to Pico, and their practice field until 1958 was at Gilmore Field, currently the site of the Grove and Farmer's Market and CBS Studios. So this was an area that Rams' top brass was regularly, and the players were in until 1958. I think uh, the sky's the limit for Tom Bergens. I think this could become a new Rams hangout right now. There really aren't Rams bars in Los Angeles. The closest thing we have, I would say, Tony Zendejas has a bar and grill. He's a former kicker for the Rams who was probably most famous for having a bounty put out on him by Buddy Ryan. The Rams have been playing in St. Louis for 21 years. And being a Los Angeles Rams fan in Los Angeles during that time was sometimes humiliating. Mm. You would go to bars and you'd have to beg them to turn on the Rams game. You would be uh, shuffled to a back room while uh, the Cowboys game was blasting. There was a certain indignity, but you never experienced it in Tom Bergen's. As a restaurant owner,
1: let me give you an analogy here. There's a restaurant in uh, on, on York in Eagle Rock called Via Sombrero, okay. and it had old red booths. People loved it. They had good margaritas. They make tableside guacamole. A lot of people's favorite restaurant, including KPCC's Larry Mandel, I believe. Um, somebody bought it and they stripped out all the stuff. You know, the the, the picture of Montezuma and the red stuff and the, the chair, and they totally ruined it. And it and they tried to upscale it. Didn't work. So normally as a patron of many restaurants you'd say, Well, we're screwed, it's never gonna come back. Right. There was a miracle though, and the old owner was able to release it. He'd kept all the stuff and he restored it to exactly the way it was before. That's in, in restaurant terms, that's mm-hmm. a miracle. Is it is it kind of a miracle that the Rams are back? It is, and we went through a similar
2: miracle. I was born in the wrong century, and so when I started looking at places in Los Angeles, again, I agree we kind of have cultural ADD, and so I wanted to make sure that I was finding a place that meant something and to kind of save it. I live across the street. I was a regular of Tom Bergen's for years. I have my shamrock up, and so when I took this project on, it was to restore it to what it was. Before you knew that the Rams were coming back. This is before I knew the Rams were coming back everything still feels and, and is tactically exactly like it was 80 years ago
1: and the rams are back and the rams are back right so it's a good day
0: are they going to be a good team they're going to be a young team for the second or third straight year they're going to be the youngest team in the nfl they're going to also be one of the they're, they're very low in the power rankings and they're in a very tough division uh they tend to play up to their competition and down to their competition. They're probably not going to have a winning season, and that's certainly going to test Los Angeles's enthusiasm for, for them. And they're also going to be back in the spotlight. There are two uh, national TV shows featuring the Rams. So, in a lot, of, in a in a weird kind of interesting repetition of history, the Rams are embracing Hollywood uh, much like they did back in the day. The Rams were frequently referred to as. The Hollywood Rams, they kind of invented the template for the Hollywood sports icon with Bob Waterfield and Elroy Hirsch back in the day. It's huge. its it, it transcends the football field. This is about Los Angeles remembering its history. The Rams are returning to the place where they established themselves as L.A.'s premier team in 1946, where they played until 1979. And it gives us this opportunity, I think, to reclaim our history. Joshua Newman, thanks very much. Thank you. Derek, thanks very much. Thank you.
1: Derek Schreck, owner of Tom Bergen since 2013, and Josh Newman, among other things, the host and creator of the new Los Angeles Rams podcast, The Greatest Show on Grass. We'll have a link at kpcc.org slash offramp.
0: know what that sound means hard knocks time in our final segment which we call film study we dissect an episode or scene from a film or tv show that prominently features los angeles rams thankfully there are thousands to choose from many of which we've chronicled on our greatest show on grass tumblr even in the age of social media hard knocks allows you to get as close to professional football players as you've ever been. After three episodes, we know what the inside of William Hayes' locker looks like, that Eugene Sims sucks at ping pong, that Ethan Westbrook's last job was at Toys R Us. We even know how quarterback coach Chris Wanky toasts his bread before making a peanut butter sandwich. But episode three starts with a closeness that is both heartfelt and somber as head coach Jeff Fisher consoles rookie free agent wide receiver Paul McRoberts after McRoberts learns that his half-brother has been shot and killed. Quote, it's all right to cry, says Fisher. Channeling the 1972 song by Rosie Greer, which I insist should be broadcast at the stadium following every Los Angeles Rams loss. By the way, if anyone from the Los Angeles Rams organization is listening, I have other ideas too. I think the producers of Hard Knocks were secretly hoping that Jared Goff would take over as the first-string quarterback at some point in the five-part series. I can't blame them, as he... He seems the part. The California roots, the Ryan Gosling-like mug, and that otherworldly number 16 which the hero wears in heaven can wait when he wins the Super Bowl in the Coliseum. And it still seems as if Hard Knock's producers are hedging their bets, spending an inordinate time showing Goff taking reps in camp and then cutting to coaches reassuring each other and I guess the audience, about how much progress he's making. There's even a moment when, following a golf throw, Eric Dickerson turns to Mike Singletary and suggests that if the Rams had had golf playing quarterback in 1985, they might have had a chance against Singletary's Bears. That would constitute wishful thinking, I believe. But the producers can't control the fact that Goff looks uncomfortable helming the Rams offense. And so slowly but surely, they're turning head coach Jeff Fisher into the hero of the series. It's not unparalleled. Rex Ryan stole the show when the Jets were on Hard Knocks in 2010. But while Ryan was pure spectacle, Fisher is a complex character. We see him in a fatherly role with son Brandon, as a disciplinarian with Dion Long, as a cut-up with Kenny Brut and Bryant Quick, and with McRoberts, he's almost in a pastoral capacity. Make no bones about it. Jeff Fisher is the moral center of the show. He, more than anyone else hard knocks, seems to be suggesting, is the Los Angeles Rams. Which... It's sort of cool, I guess. I mean, he's the most connected to SoCal Rams history, having coached the Rams defense in 1991 under John Robinson in Anaheim. Still, I might like to see more of Todd Gurley. I feel like his commercials and his Twitter feed give me more of a sense of how he's adapting to life in Los Angeles than Hard Knocks is. Other than the opening credits, we don't sense of his growing stardom. Gurley's been hanging with DJ Khalid and Big Sean. Do we really need a scene of Brandon Chubb and Benson Brown bowling? Or William Hayes and Akeem Ayers on a roller coaster? Or Case and Kimberly Keenum making omelets? I mean, those scenes could be in St. Louis. Though maybe that's the point. That getting out of St. Louis is more difficult than simply packing up a truck full of equipment. Maybe the producers are trying to make the point that despite their newfound spotlight, the Los Angeles Rams players are still just a bunch of dudes. They aren't stars yet. Thank you for listening to the Greatest Show on Grass podcast. Please subscribe on iTunes, like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, and spread the word to friends who are obsessed with pro football, Hollywood history, or just the Los Angeles Rams. from you the all Rain drop from Feel better.